A big thank you to this week's sponsor, Lark Dean Galley. Lark is so much more than just a business coach. She is a mother who lost her son to suicide just a few months ago, and it's completely changed the way she does her business. Right now on her website, you can find her free module for her emotional self-reliance course. Lark believes that belonging to a community reduces suicide, and I couldn't agree more. Our values align exactly in that way. Go to LarkDeanGalley.com and prepare to just get lost on her website like I do with all of her good information, her cheerleading for your life. Welcome to I See You, a podcast where we advocate that compassion and connection save lives. They also make life pretty cool. I'm your host, Julie Lee. I see you. Let's be friends. Welcome to the ICU podcast. This is episode 57. My mom doesn't remember I'm gay. Hey, everybody. I have a lot of things I could say right now, but I'm just so excited for you to listen to this interview. The review for this week comes from Wicked-1217, entitled Great Pick Me Up, five stars. Julie's podcast is amazing. I love the insight she provides for looking and seeing people of different walks of life. This is always my first podcast to listen to on my drive when there are new episodes. Thank you, Julie, another huge Idina Menzel fan. Aw, thanks, Wicked. I like that your nickname is Wicked. (laughs) That's awesome. And that's a pretty big compliment. Whichever podcast I choose first, that's a big deal. That's saying a lot. Thank you, thank you. I'm so excited to introduce you to my good friend, Ben Shalati. He just has a beautiful story and perspective, and he's just a powerhouse. He lives his life with such intention, and whether you agree with all of his decisions or not, you can't help but respect the man for the life that he's chosen and for the intention in which he lives it with. Here we go. Ben Shalati. Welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm happy to have you here. So I first heard your story on Richard Osler's podcast, which we've both been interviewed on, and I just have loved your perspective of your life and living as a gay man in, in Utah County. Will you just start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I'm 35 now, so I'm still really young. I grew up in the Seattle area, and I have a bunch of graduate degrees. I have three degrees from BYU, and I have a PhD from the University of Arizona in second language acquisition and teaching, which basically means I'm a very good Spanish teacher. A few years ago, I switched careers and got a master's in social work, and now I'm a therapist at LDS Family Services part-time, and I work in student life at BYU. I love Cinnabons, I love saguaro cacti, uh, what are Cinnabons? Like that you eat? Yeah. Oh, okay. Cinnabons like the cinnamon rolls. You just put Cinnabons and cacti together. So I was like, maybe it's a rare plant. No, no. Plant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So cool. there are lots of things I love. And since I grew up in Seattle, I love wearing hoodies and jeans whenever I can. Yeah. that's what I wore all growing up. What I'd really like to touch on today is about a post that you wrote. I mm-hmm. like your blog. And you wrote a post about coming out to your mom over and over again because she has Alzheimer's, so she forgets. And I thought it was really meaningful. So will you just start by telling us about your relationship with your mom and then what it's been like to come out multiple times to your mom? Yeah, so my relationship with, with my mom is amazing. Both of my parents are incredibly affirming people. In fact, I remember one time I was on a road trip with my sister and my mom and my friend Laura, and I was driving Laura's car and I, I turned right and my mom was like, that was such a great right turn, Ben. And my friend was like, what the heck? <laughs> but that's the kind of mom my my mom is, you know, just affirming and, and supportive of everything. So when I was 23, I first came out to her mm-hmm. and, and my dad at the same time. And they were both really kind and supportive, but I just didn't really feel ready to talk to them about it. Yeah. And so about for the next seven years, about once a year, my dad would say, so how's the whole same sex attraction thing going? And I would say, good. 
And my mom would say, we love you, and give me a hug, and that was all we ever talked about it. Then when I was 30, about five years ago, I just wasn't sure that I could stay active in, in my church, and I was considering leaving and, and finding a same-sex partner. And telling my mom all this, her response was, then if you need to leave the church and marry a man, you and he will always be part of our family. And she said, we're not just on your side, we're with you 100%, whatever you choose. That's pretty so special. That's what my parents were like, my mom especially. Alzheimer's hadn't set in at all? Point? No, it was a couple years after that when it started. Yeah, so she was totally lucid and totally fine back then. You know, having the freedom to leave helped me decide that I actually wanted to stay. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she honored my agency and honored my choices. So that's the kind of mom I have. She was diagnosed with Alzheimer's three years ago. In a week, it'll be three years. They think it had been going on for about one or two years before that. When my mom and I had that conversation when I was 30, it was just starting to hit. But we hadn't noticed any symptoms yet. How old is your mom? She's going to be 70 okay. in a week. It's early onset Alzheimer's. Yeah, that seems young, right? Mm -hmm. So it's actually a more, more aggressive form, so it progresses faster. When it onsets earlier, uh -huh. it's usually more aggressive? Yep. So I go home a lot because I'm single, so I spend a lot of time back in Seattle whenever I can. And I was writing something. My mom was asked me what I was writing, and I said, I'm writing something about being gay and Mormon. And she was like, gay and Mormon. And that's just like the words <laughs> didn't quite sink in. I was like, yeah, because, you know, I'm Mormon and I'm, I'm also gay. She's like, okay. And I said, what do you think about that? And she said, well, you know, just do what you want to do. And after that, I was like, you know, I wonder what my mom thinks about this. And I, I started thinking maybe I could just like come after her a couple times just kind of see how she reacts. And it was odd because, you know, the whole world knows I'm gay. Like, yeah. I'm out in every aspect of my life. So I don't get nervous telling people. But I started to get nervous when I was like thinking about telling my mom. One day, my mom and I were on a walk at the, at the marina by our house. And I said, hey, mom, did you, did you know I'm gay? And she said, no, I didn't. And I said, well, what do you think about that? And she said, well, just do what you want to do and I'll be happy. You know, she said that again and again and again, whenever I would come to her, just do what you want to do you'll be, and be happy. And I also told her I was her son because she, she's like, oh, I didn't know that either. She was like so delighted. And, and then a couple of minutes later, we were back in the car and she, she put her hand on my, on my leg and she said, Ben, thank you so much. I should probably didn't say my name actually. Yeah. <laughs> she just said, thank you so much for telling me that. I didn't know. And I'm just so lucky to have you because you're just such a wonderful, kind person. Wow. I don't know, I guess it's kind of like me messing with her, coming out with her again and again, but but it's also nice to have her tell me like again and again that she loves me no matter what. Yeah, well, and she's still that reaffirming person for you, mm -hmm. even with this disease that she's struggling with, which yeah. is incredible. I just got a job at BYU in student life, and I really wanted the job. I've been talking to my parents about it for a few weeks, and so my dad knew what was going on, of course, but my mom, she has no concept of what's going on. As soon as I got the job, I, I called them, and my dad starts cheering and hollering and banging the table. He's so happy. And then my mom just said, Ben, we knew you could do it. We knew you would get it. And she doesn't know what's going on, but, yeah. you know, she's just excited for me, whatever happens. Yeah. Are you pretty sad sometimes? Has it been a hard transition having your mom get sick like that? You know, it's really weird. If my mom had died in a car accident, then it's like the sudden loss. But with Alzheimer's, it's just little cuts every once in a while. So nothing big ever happens. It's just like these little cuts. My mom and I were on the same cell phone plan. I would pay her bill and then she would pay me back. She had lost her cell phone for like six months. She didn't even know how to use a cell phone, but I was still paying for her bill. So one day my dad was like, just cancel it, Ben. I called T-Mobile and I canceled it. Then when we were done, I was like, oh, I can't call my mom anymore. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you know, I hadn't for months, but just the reality that I couldn't call her on this number I'd called her on for years, that kind of stunk. So things like that, these little cuts, just realizing that things aren't the same yeah. and missing someone who is still present is hard. I can connect with that differently. I'll be losing a close family member soon. That's a pretty big part of my life. It's, it's painful missing someone that's present. Yeah. It's really hard. 
what kind of things have you learned through your interactions with your mom? It can be before she was diagnosed. It can be after. Yeah. One of the things I've learned is I am not as good of a person as I originally thought. Because <laughs> my mom is an angel. Like, she is an absolute angel. And I get so frustrated with her so easily. And so this was about a year and a half ago. I was home for Christmas. And my mom just loves to, like, clean and help. And so she had gone into my room and had taken all my dirty laundry and my clean laundry and folded it. And she'd actually ironed it too, ironed all my dirty laundry, and then put it in my dad's drawers. So I'm getting ready to go to bed, and all my clothes are gone. Uh, so I have to go into my dad's room. I don't know what's clean and what's dirty because it's all ironed. Oh, so I had to figure out what's clean and what's dirty. And I was so frustrated. And I was like, Mom, you really messed that up. And she didn't know what she had done, but she just like felt so horrible about it. I remember my dad, just like I was getting frustrated. My dad just hugging my mom and saying, Ginny, it's okay. We just love you. You, you didn't do anything wrong. That night, I, I pulled out my scriptures, and I, I read in 1 Corinthians 13, where it says, Charity is kind and suffereth long. And is patient. And I was like, oh, that that's not me. <laughs> I was not kind. I did not suffer long. I was not patient. The next morning, I apologized. And she didn't remember what had happened at all. Just realizing that I can be a jerk to my mom. And she's going to forget about it. And realizing that the measure of my integrity is how I'm going to treat someone who has no idea how I'm treating them. When I came back the next time, I made a goal that I was just going to be patient. And I wasn't going to get frustrated. And I did a much better job. But it's, it's still tough. Like when your stuff disappears or when you have to explain the same thing 10 times, it can get really frustrating. So that's one of the things I've learned. Like I want to be a patient person. I want to be kind to everyone, even if they're doing things that are frustrating. Oh, that makes me super teary. I don't know why. But that's so sweet how your dad treated your mom. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. You sound like... An okay guy, too, right? <laughs> My dad is pretty incredible. He's a good guy, too. If I end up like Buzz Shalati, I ended up pretty good. His name is Buzz? <laughs> yeah, his name is Buzz. That's cool. Is that his full real name? No, his, his first name is actually John. But oh. when he was a baby, my aunt, who was older, couldn't say brother, so she called him her baby buzzer. And she started calling him. She's been buzzed his whole life. In high school and stuff, he was always buzzed. Yeah. That's cool. Back in the 50s and 60s, that wasn't weird. So right, right. Everyone like, was buzz. That's cool. My kids would love that because they think he was like Buzz Lightyear. You know? Right. That's pretty sweet. This podcast, we talk a lot about the ideas of compassion and connection, as I have seen it save my own and change my own life over and over again and transform it into something really beautiful. How do you feel like compassion and connection have played a role just in the experience of being gay, of having your mom have Alzheimer's, of just the entire dynamic? Everyone asks me how my mom is doing and I say she's fine because she doesn't know she has Alzheimer's. She's just thrilled with life and happy about everything. It's my dad who's really struggling because not only has he lost his best friend, but now she's an annoying. Yeah. And so my dad is just lonely and stressed. And so when I go home now, I spend a lot more time just hanging out with my dad and doing things with him because he's lonely. I've had to learn how to reconnect with my mom too, because, you know, usually we would have conversations and we can't have a conversation anymore. The thing I wasn't prepared for is I knew we would have the same conversations over and over again, like that she would forget, but her just capacity to form sentences has really diminished. So most of the time, I don't know what she's talking about. She doesn't make a lot of sense. And so it's hard to connect with my mom now. So what I do is I put on songs that she loves and she'll start singing along and sometimes we'll dance and she just like <laughs> has such a good time. <laughs> Uh, and then instead of asking her questions like, oh, what did you do today? Because she can't tell me. I just tell her about her life and she's always so delighted. I'm like, mom, you have four kids and I'm one of them and you were a principal and you 
won this award. And she's like, oh, that's so wonderful. So, Aww. and I like tell her about the trips we go on. So I've learned to connect with her in, in a way that, that works better. Are you ever like, and I'm your favorite son? Oh, of course. Said- yeah. <laughs> and there's one thing I'm going to hell for. It's constantly <laughs> tricking my mom into saying that I'm her favorite. <laughs> oh, I love it. But I'm the baby. So I probably actually am the favorite. Yeah. And you're, like you said, you're single and you go home for Christmas and all of these things. Man, you got to like rock the pros of that situation. Yeah. And since I'm active in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints mm-hmm. and also openly gay, you know, if I want to be fully participatory in the church, that means I can't have a same-sex relationship. Right. And so a lot of people talk about like the sacrifice that is and, and what I'm giving up and how hard that must be to not have a partner. And I used to think that being single was a deficit, like it was something that I was missing. But now I just see it as a strength. I'm 35. If I was living a more traditional life, I'd have like four kids by now. I'd be way into my career and I wouldn't have this time to go home and be with my to be with my family. And so while I'm missing out on one thing, it's such a gift that I am single and I have this time, this freedom to really be with my parents in, in times when they, they need me. Well, and sometimes I feel like people can say that or people hear that and, and they almost think of that as like a, a counterfeit life or, or putting a band-aid on it. But it reminds me, so I wrote a children's book. It's called Broccoli Pencil. I've talked a little bit before on here and I would go talk to kids about it. It's, it has a lot to do with self-acceptance. I make them scream this mantra and it is what makes you different makes you powerful. Yeah. I just love that. It's like your superpower, right? Yeah. Really cool life. Thank you. Cause I, you know, I could be at home watching Netflix all day and I'd be lonely and sad. Yeah. Like that's not what my life is at all. Like it's about connecting with people and being with people and serving others. And it's beautiful and wonderful. I love it. And you have this energy that you're not putting into a family, which I know I've heard you talk for, which you really wanted it of course. before you wanted to get married. You wanted to do the whole thing. Yep. Because you know, there was this life I thought I was going to have. I thought I was supposed to have, right. it didn't work out. Mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time just feeling sad that things couldn't work out the way that I had hoped. And I just decided that instead of wishing things were different, to just thrive the way that things were. And do you feel like you're thriving now? Oh yeah, more than ever before. Since I turned 30, like since I had that conversation with my mom, like the last five years have been the most remarkable of my life. How have your experiences increased your empathy for others? It's interesting, when you start to open up to people about your stuff, they open up about their stuff too. And well, so, we did, when you first got here even, because I've listened to your interview and say very intimate, open things. I'm like, oh, here's all my stuff. Here yeah. you go. It's cool. Yeah, you know, it's fine. Because exactly. you're, you're an open person. Right. And so when I started telling people, oh, my mom has Alzheimer's, almost everyone I know like had a grandparent or, or a sibling or an aunt or an uncle. This disease touches so many people. And so just realizing like, oh my gosh, like so many people have gone through this same painful experience that I'm going through. Uh, but even with being gay, like once I started opening, opening up about being gay, people told me all kinds of stuff. And, and I have one friend, I have permission to share this story, but I won't say her name. Um, this was years ago. I came out to her when I was uh, living in Arizona. And the next, that was on a Saturday night. And the next day at church, she said, she said, Ben, since you shared your secret with me, can I share my secret with you after church? I was like, well, let's just do it now. I don't want to go to Sunday school. <laughs> so, so we found an empty classroom and she told me that she had been sexually assaulted and just like how, how much that had hurt her. And she's like, you need to share that with someone. You know, I'm a tall white male. I have never at all been afraid being out by myself at night, like that haven't experienced that. Then I could feel the fear that she felt being alone outside and what it was like to even think about going outside at night and then the terror when it actually happened to her and how she just needed someone to be with her and be with her in that pain. So my compassion has grown so much that I've learned about other people's lives that are different than mine and just learning that 
people just need someone to be with them in those really terrible moments. They need someone to say, do you want me to report that with you? What can I do to help you? So my compassion has grown leaps and bounds as I've been open with people because they've reciprocated with vulnerability. And you feel like it's led to a more beautiful life, right? Oh, definitely. I don't know what it's like to be afraid of being sexually assaulted. I don't experience that feeling, yeah. but I can I can empathize with it now in ways that I couldn't. I'm pretty openly Christian on here and member of the same church as you. Once you've suffered and all you have left is Christ and you're laying on the ground and that's, that's all you have, I think that when you've suffered to that point, we have a lot more in common than we realize. Mm-hmm. And, and one thing I've learned is as good as someone's life looks, everyone's life has a lot of disappointment and sadness in it. And it doesn't mean that we're sad, disappointed people, but it means that you know everyone has a cross to bear. Like everyone is going through something tough. Everyone needs love and compassion. Our job is to ease pain and mitigate that pain. And we can do that by, by being there for each other. I'd listened to your story quite a while ago. And so this morning I was brushing up on it and I listened to it as I was doing dishes. You talked about how you're like, I know a lot of married people that are lonely, lonely in their relationships. And that really hit me that it's so true. And it, I'm so grateful that Christ doesn't compare trials in that way. Yeah. He looks at us individually. Right. And, and one thing I tell a lot of my clients in therapy is so many of them are blaming themselves for their life circumstances. And I say this all the time. I say almost anyone who has had your experiences would be exactly where you are. It's not your fault that you're having this tough time. Yes. I tell people that all the time because we often blame ourselves for the tough times we're having when reality is that life is tough and it's hard and it's sad, but that doesn't mean it's not also like beautiful and wonderful. Do you share with your clients that you're gay? It depends. Most of them don't know because therapy isn't about me, so I don't often self-disclose, but if it feels appropriate, I do. But I would say less than half now. If I have a client who is gay, I I usually self-disclose and some of them like Google me before they come in so they know. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, oh, you're totally gay. (laughs) Yeah, but most of them don't know not about me. So I even wear a rainbow ring that I actually forgot to wear today. And I take it off when I write your therapy because oh. I don't want it to be a distraction. I want to be like a blank slate for them to come and talk to. You said something in the podcast today as I was listening to your story that really struck me. You talked about how your other friends who are gay or lesbian, your advice to them, if they ask you for advice, yeah. is to make sure that your beliefs align with your actions, something like that. Yeah. You have a better way of saying it, I'm yeah. sure. But will you kind of expound on that a little bit? Yeah, I say, I, you know, I, I don't care what your values are. You know, it's not my job to decide, but your values and your actions have to be the same. What you believe and what you do have to be the same thing. In my mind, that's the only way to have a life of integrity. If you want to thrive, you have to have a life of integrity. What you say and what you believe and what you do need to be the same thing. If you believe that being a Christian is the right way to live, then be the best Christian you can be. And if you think that a different life is better, you know, then do that and live your best life that way. The other advice I always give is that you can't make decisions based on fear. You have to make decisions based based on hope and love and trust. When I talk to my clients about this a lot, I was like, well, is that a fear-based decision? Because when we're making decisions based on fear, we're not going to making the right choice. The interview that's being posted previous to this, we're actually talking about reconciling our Christian beliefs with the reality of some of the best people and kindest people we know identify as LGBT. People that are confused and and just aren't sure how to grapple with all of it. What would you be your advice to them? Yeah. Oh, I would say if you don't think you have an LGBTQ person in your life, you do because (laughs) everyone does. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Um, I have many. Yes. And I would say the first thing to realize is that this isn't something that we chose. I was raised to be straight. I was taught to be straight. Like I grew up in the 90s and early 2000s when it wasn't even okay in society to be gay. Mm-hmm. So my religion, my family, my society all taught me to be straight. And I acted straight. I went on dates with women. I said I had crushes with, on women. I prayed to be straight. Like I did everything I could to be straight. And it didn't work. Being gay wasn't something I chose. It's just something that, that I am. 
that I couldn't change. And so first realizing that, that LGBTQ people, like the, we're not making a choice. Right. Um, this is just our reality. Yeah. It's, and it's a complex reality. And I would say the most important thing to do is just try and listen and understand. And the people who have been the best to me are ones who just like ask me about my story and said, you know, you know what, what's it like for you to be gay? You know, how did you know you were gay? How has it shaped your life? And then just listening and letting me share my story. I would say that's the best thing you can do. And then if someone is making a choice different than the choice that you're making, everyone I wish would be like my mother who said, you know, we're not just on your side, we're with you 100%. And just, just honoring people's agency, honoring the decisions that they make. Mm -hmm. Because one thing my dad always says is, and this is his parenting advice, he says, your kids are going to do what they want to do, whether you like it or not. Uh, but you get to choose how much they're going to be in your life. With your LGBTQ loved ones, you know, they're going to live the lives they want to live, whether you like it or not. Right. But you get to decide how much you want them in, in your life. Sometimes we really struggle, I think, especially in our culture right now. We're really afraid of being uncomfortable, being mm -hmm. afraid of being in uncomfortable spaces with other people. So, like, maybe we see someone crying somewhere and we're just like, Ugh, I don't want to say the wrong thing. And so sometimes we avoid which yeah. can be painful when we avoid, especially loved ones and friends. Who are some people that have waited in the uncomfortability with you in that vulnerable space? Yeah, so um, this was a couple years ago when I was really struggling and wondering whether or not I should stay active in my church. Well, my friend Leanne called me one night and she asked how I was doing. She knew I was gay and I'd been very open with her about it. And my roommate at the time didn't know I was gay. So and it was late at night, it was like 10 p.m. So I walked out of my house and walked two blocks down the road and, and sat on a, on a curb so that we could talk in private. She asked me how I was doing. I said that it just didn't feel fair that I had to choose between being with someone that I loved and being in a church that I loved. Like, why did I have to make that choice when straight people didn't have to? Right. And often when someone's having a tough time, we want to, like, fix it for them. Like, we want to comfort them and we want to tell them it's going to be okay. But Leanne didn't do that. She just, like, as I cried, she just cried with me. She exemplified what the Savior would have done because the, the shortest verse in the Bible says simply Jesus wept. And the circumstances around that verse are that Mary had just told Jesus that her brother Lazarus had died. You know, Jesus could have said, look, Mary, I got this. I'm going to raise him from the dead. It's going to be fine. But instead, he wept with her and sat with her in her pain. And that's what Leanne did for me that day. She just sat with me in my pain. And that was the gift that I needed. You know, I, I feel myself like this writing reflex. Like, I just want to like make everything right if something's wrong. And I don't have to fight against that when someone's suffering and struggling. I remember one time having a tough discussion with, with, a, with a bunch of gay friends and one person was like, like expressing a lot of pain and hurt. And my initial reaction, what I was gonna say was like explain it away and tell him why it was gonna be okay. And then my friend Sarah spoke up and, and she said, I am so sorry for the pain you're feeling. And I just want to acknowledge that and say that I am so sorry. And I think, that is so often the right answer. You know, we don't need to fix anything. We say, I'm so sorry that you are struggling. I'm here with you. I've talked to a lot of people about this subject, about reconciling your Christian beliefs with the reality of that. There are many that are LGBT and it's it's part of their identity. It's not just like some susceptibility. I don't know. Yeah, like a temptation, a trial. Yeah, it's totally different, right? How yeah. would you say it's different? Will you explain that? Because you're more the expert than I am on yeah. this, obviously. So people will say something like, you know, I've got a friend like you who struggles with same-sex attraction. I'm like, oh, I'm not struggling. I'm gay. You're like, no, I'm, I'm full-fledged yeah. gay for well, sure. Yeah, like this isn't an inclination. It's not a temptation. It's not a trial it's not a struggle like it's my sexual orientation right like just as just as the majority of the population is oriented towards the opposite sex my sexual orientation is towards the same sex and i don't feel like it's a trial or a or a burden or or anything like that and i would have used all those words in the past and if people want to use those words that that word works for them you know i, I honor that uh, but that's not what works for me so people tell me like what my experience is that's really hard i would rather have people ask me so that i can tell them what my experience is because if you had asked me 
if I was gay 10 years ago, I would have said, no, I'm not gay. I just struggle with same-sex attraction. And now I've, I've completely switched as the exact opposite. If and why I, did you make that switch? Why was that important? Because for a long time, I hated myself for being gay. I would have done anything to be, to be straight. And I was taught that in the next life, I won't be gay. And so there were years of my life where I would have rather been dead and straight than alive and gay. And those weren't happy years. And so now my saying, you know, I'm gay, this is part of me, is my way of saying, I am choosing to live the life that I have. Above that, like, I'm choosing to live. Changing from saying, oh, I struggle with same-sex attraction to saying, I, I am gay, to me means, I don't want to go back to those dark days. I'm going to look forward and live the life, the best life that I can with what I've been given. And this is where I'm like, man, we all have struggles and we all have more in common than we think. And it's it's not the same and it's not about comparing trials either. But I can relate to that feeling of, I know that when I really started struggling with my mental health and I started voicing it, it was something that a lot of people had a hard time that I would talk about. But for me, it was exactly what you just said. I choose life right now and I'm choosing to live and I'm choosing to own this struggle that's kind of a big part of my life that I, I live really intentionally because of. So I get to have this beautiful life because I have to live with intention. But there was that feeling sometimes of why do you have to come in and ruin anything and, and talk about these hard things that happened? But that's exactly how I felt. I felt like it was life or death. I felt like I need to be okay with this life that I have. And it's not the one I chose and would have thought I wanted, but it's my life. It's as real as the sun and, and yeah. it's, it's created a really special life. And one thing that, that I've learned is, you know, I hated myself for being gay for so long and I kept it to myself and didn't talk about it. So many of my feelings about eternity and about the Savior and God have come because of what I've experienced being gay. I have learned that that my sexuality and talking about my experiences has become the main vehicle through which I share my beliefs and my convictions. It's really interesting to see how God has changed something that I hated so much about myself to a way to glorify Him and teach people about Him. People have been rude to me a handful of times in person. Usually people are really kind, but yeah. but one time at church, I, I mentioned being gay. You know, when it comes up organically, I mentioned it at church. And, right. and after after one Sunday school lesson, uh, someone told me that I shouldn't be talking about my perversions at church. And that was really painful. And I remember walking down the hall of church that day and thinking, I don't want to come back here because mm -hmm. it hurt so bad. And then as I pushed open the, the door, I just thought, you know, forgive him. He doesn't know what he's doing. I think that so much of the, of the like, ignorance and, and homophobia or unkindness of the experience is just because people don't yet understand right. what it's like to be us. And so I think the more that people will, will listen and understand, the more that they'll love and will accept us as, as part of the community. That's really compassionate. Something my therapist once told me, a mantra that she told me, when, when we're in those situations, especially in a religious situation, uh, I think can be really triggering. And I found that sometimes when I've heard certain things talked about, you know, a really good mantra can be that thought is working for them right now. And mm -hmm. that's okay. Yeah. It may not always work for them. And that's helped me a lot, not feel anger because it sometimes we feel that anger and we feel like it's right just because we're defending what's true and what's right. But people people have to come around in their own time. Yeah. If there's someone that's listening that's feeling discouraged because their life hasn't turned out the way they hoped, what message would you leave with them? Yeah, the first thing I would say is don't feel like you have to be happy. Allow yourself to feel those feelings. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be discouraged. You're not supposed to be happy all the time. Allow yourself to accept those feelings and sit with those feelings. The other thing I would say is I think almost everyone's life doesn't turn out the way that they expect. We need to learn to just really live live in the present, but also be hopeful for the future. I remember this was just over five years ago. I had just moved to Tucson, Arizona. 
my roommate, who had become my best friend, was getting married to a different close friend of mine. And I was like, I'm losing all my friends. I'm just going to be left alone for the rest of my life. There's a line from My Fair Lady where Liza says, what is to become of me? And I remember like crying that night and saying like, what's to become of me? Like, I'm just going to be lonely for the rest of my life. I remember writing my journal that night, just like writing out all my feelings, just being really mad about it. And then I wrote, I know that five years from now, everything's going to be fine. But right now it's really hard. And five years after that, not only were things fine, but they were amazing. It's okay to have fears. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be discouraged. And realize that a couple years down the road, we're going to look back on these tough times and we're going to be stronger for it. Appreciate you being here and adding that perspective and just being such a force for good. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for doing this. I think the more that we can listen to and understand one of their stories, the better we'll be. Another big thank you to our sponsor this week, Lark Dean Galley. Do not miss out on her self-reliance free module. Right at the top of her page, larkdeangalley.com, there's a button that says, click here, click it, and you will get access to that module. She also offers so many incredible modules and courses, how body language can help you do business, how you can make more money, how you can understand your relationship with money. Go to larkdeangalley.com. Lark, of course, is a strong advocate of preventing suicide, and she strongly believes that when we are part of a community, we will more likely reduce suicide. Next week, I'm excited for you to hear from Judge Mortensen. He is a good friend of mine, and we are going to be talking about compassion in the courtroom. He shares some beautiful stories of real acts of compassion as witnessed from his judge stand. So that's going to be pretty interesting. Much love to all of you listeners. I love you. My name is Julie Lee, and I see you 